This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. From Christianity Today, I'm Sandra McCracken, and this is The Slow Work. We are all creatives at heart, no matter what career or calling we find ourselves in. Inspiration can happen in a second, but the work of creativity only happens when we are patient enough to stay with it. It takes grit to see it through. I love hearing what it looks like for musicians, poets, painters, writers, and advocates. So I've been having conversations with them, and I want to invite you to listen in. As you do, I hope that your faith story gets tangled up in your work story and that your creative mind will be renewed by hope and possibility. Today, I'm joined by Maku Fujimura and Hejin Shin Fujimura, and the two of them are really a power couple of generosity and justice. They're both creatives, but in different ways and in some surprising ways. I have been shaped by friendship with these two over many years. And I think that what they offer in their work and in their how they think about their work cannot be underestimated. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Hey, Mako and Hedgen, I'm so glad to get to connect with you guys today across the miles. How are you? Good. It's good to see good. you. Good. You too. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things we could cover. Uh, so many things I'm curious about in your work, especially just the synergy between the two of you and how something new emerges when two creatives like yourselves. You guys are kind of a force. So I'm excited to hear where we go today. <laughs> yeah, we're excited too. You know, we made a, a marital commitment uh, that we will never um, sleep apart. Oh, wow. So that means um, we uh, are committed to travel together all the time. And, yeah. you know, that um, I, we didn't realize what a big commitment that is because <laughs> um, I thought um, a lot of people do that, but it's not very common. But the beautiful, beautiful part of that is that we get to really um, reflect on what is really important mm-hmm. in our schedule, in our, in our yeah. life together. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's been a beautiful journey. <laughs> and and so you're more likely to see us together than not. So it's, it's really wonderful to be able to do this uh, together and speak together because the bulk of our time is thinking about beauty and justice together, you know, and not separate. So, Well, it's more than just a romantic idea of this commitment that you've made. And I think it makes it makes a powerful statement because it's almost like you're having to say a double no, because you're going to both have to say no to things to choose one thing together. But then the one thing you choose has all the emphasis of a yes that is multiplied as well. And, and I think each of us, even as individuals or people that are not married, have the same invitation, right? This like uh, That yes and no that we're saying all the time is part of the shape of our work, you know, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I really admire your commitment to doing that together. And Yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting it. And what we have been experiencing is, is that a lot of the limitations, you know, they, they self-imposed, I suppose, but 
really helps to amplify both of our commitments and our passions. You know, this is our own way of honoring our marriage uh, in God. And when we do that, God does something that is so remarkable and beautiful. So even just today, mm. we went to New York City for Marcos meeting with this, you know, very famous artist, Mark Rothko's son, who is involved with republishing, actually, his uh, father's writings, which is less known than his paintings. And uh, Mako had been invited to write an essay in that book, which is just really beautiful. And we're really looking forward to that. So Mako wanted to have a conversation <laughs> with Christopher Rothko. But of course, you know, we went together, um, you know, to for me to show support to Mako. And that is a sacrifice on my part, because mm -hmm. I have my own work during the day. But it turned out that as we were having a conversation, that Christopher's wife is involved in anti-trafficking work for 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Same line yeah. of work that I'm doing with Embers International. Yeah. <laughs> so now we have this additional connection that God does something so generative yeah. when we honor him. And it's his way of telling us that we on, I honor you as well. Yeah. And, and you were so was, excited <laughs> that, you know, I had to kind of reset. They're like, can we talk about actually <laughs> <laughs> art? <You know? laughs> but it was really beautiful. It was really beautiful because, you know, you, you're really trying to establish your relationship. You know, it's not just about art or you're, you're trying to honor his time and, you know, the legacy of a painter who uh, whose children had to carry on or, or wanted to in this case, uh, which which is really unusual. So, but, but it just turns out that we have like parallel lives, you know, and <laughs> so cool. It's like this small picture of how, like when I think about the abundance of God, that he works within limitations and he's not at all bound by those limitations. Yet he, That's right. you know, yeah. like for lack of a better word, he paints with them, right? He's always like creating these edges and then working with them and with life and resurrection bursting out of those places that are seem to us to be limited. I would imagine the commitment to one another's work is is challenging. I mean, because we are, we are sort of wrestling with limitations in that. Mm -hmm. And I guess that word sacrifice is a good word that you're obviously feeling that in different ways. And you're feeling mm -hmm. the stretch of that. Is that something you have to communicate a lot about, or is it pretty intuitive as you feel your way forward? That's a good question. I thought it would be much more, you know, obviously you have to set your schedule and all that, but, but it is, bit more intuitive to me because there's no question that I would like to be with her in what she's passionate about, right? So when we went to India, which for the first time in my life, I went to India because of her. Mm. And, you know, I kind of discovered a side of me that you know, I, I didn't know existed, you know, that there was just as much passion to the work of Sahasi Ember's work, this children's center that they're building in the middle of brothel district. And, and, and to me, it was, it was like a rediscovery of my own connecting beauty and mercy and connecting what is happening, you know, literally in the studio with 
what what I was experiencing as I encountered new situations. And uh, as you know, that God is uh, this God of abundance, and and that doesn't doesn't stop. You know, <laughs> just because we think you know it's limited or it's a sacrifice in any sense, um, it turns out to be something that is is so rejuvenating of my own vision so yeah yeah. i think it's actually both for me and here's why sandra Mm -hmm. so you know most of the days is very intuitive you know there is we as marco said like want to support each other want to be there for each other want Mm. to be there with each other but there are times that it has to be intentional that's Mm -hmm. when i'm upset at marco yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting because when when there is a, this obvious love that flows out of the relationship, it's very natural and it's very naturally abundant. Mm. For some reason, our schedule becomes our days become naturally abundant. Yeah. But when there is conflict or issue uh, that kind of blinds us uh, from seeing this love between us, then like it, it's hmm. it's hard. It has to be intentional, and yeah, I have to like make a, a decision about it. And but what <laughs> <laughs> one uh, like word of wisdom that my mother, who is just an incredible woman yeah. of faith and prayer, and this is what she said, which is just remarkable. Um, <laughs> she said there will be moments that you feel like you know Mark was not doing something well, or he's getting on your nerve and vice versa, you know, I'm going to get on Marco's nerve and, and so forth. And that is the moment that you have to remind yourself the reason why, and the only reason why Mm. that you feel that way is because you don't love that person well at that moment. Mm. It's because mm. you don't have enough love for that person. It's not because that person has done something mm. wrong or is not mm. adequate or it's, it's, but it's because you don't have enough love at the moment. So that's when you have to look at yourself mm. and ask for God's love. Mm. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's even reflected in our yeah. commitment and scheduling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I so relate to that in my own marriage, just that I have to be filled up so that it, there's something yeah. to flow out of me, you know, not just in marriage, but in my family relationships and community. And then just even sometimes even just in the creative process, like to stay with it long enough to push through the the hurdles or this, the things that would cause resistance in the work. And when I get caught up in the frustration, it, I'm starting to learn that I can name that as like longing or loneliness, or if I can call mm, it that, yeah. it, it helps to mm. open up this space to say, oh, I need help, right? <laughs> I don't have it. And, uh, and there is one who can supply it. And then things begin to kind of flow freely again when I can go to the source. Um, yeah, I, I totally is. relate to that. You know, I think, am I feeling loneliness or wh- where is the, you know, wh- why am I reacting in, in that way? Or, you know, in, in the self-introspection, uh, we're actually good at, but we're not good at trusting that with the other. Mm-hmm. You know, because we, we have learned to carry that yeah. uh, ourselves and perhaps project it onto our heart, you know. But but really, it's not meant to be, in that sense, private. We, we are committed to sharing our lives and at least in, in our relationship, it, it has to be transparent. 
that's been my last <laughs> two years is 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 just learning to be open about what I am sensing, what I'm feeling. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. My friendship with Mako goes back uh, many years, and I think back about a moment when we were at Fuller Seminary. He had an art studio there at the time, and he put a kintsugi bowl in my hands. It was probably three or four hundred years old, and this ceramic bowl had been broken into pieces. It was just reassembled using this 15th century Japanese technique, which they'll talk a little bit more about, but just this this storyline in Mako's work of drawing from an old tradition and building through the broken places so that our brokenness is not just dismissed or pushed aside but brought into the beauty of the story and right into the center of the story. In your book, Art and Faith, which we've really loved in our community in Nashville and in Goldenwood, um, there's a part where you describe what you're talking about now as like actually sensitizing more yes. toward the heart of God. Like, so not that we would become indulgent around suffering or to make it in any way sentimental, but to sensitize toward what is broken in the way that he does, which is what this practice of Kintsugi does. So in the Academy Kintsugi, what is this an in-person? Is this something we could do or is this something that we could um, sign <laughs> <Absolutely>. up for? <laughs> yeah. If you go to culturalcarecreative.com, there is a page for Academy Kintsugi, and you can sign up to participate in what is called Kintsugi Experience, which is a three-hour session where you get to learn the basic craft of Kintsugi and then a much deeper kind of understanding of what that means for this art form as well as in our lives. And it starts to form a, a small cultural care community where people want to not throw away just the brokenness, but mm -hmm. look for the brokenness in your life and think about and imagine, you know, mm -hmm. what a new creation can be through that. Yeah. And it's it's been a very powerful experience, Andrew, to <laughs> to witness every every experience. There's some story that pops up that that is just miraculous, you know, and it does create this, what I call culture care community, almost by in three hours, you, you, you have, <laughs> and I've always wondered, you know, the art that I create, uh, the music that, that you write, you know, how much is it reaching people, right? And, and I always thought that education ought to be a place where people are more able to receive beauty. And, you know, which, which is not what you see in schools, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I was thought, so how do we help people to understand what we understand every day, which is creativity and imagination that's been sanctified, can create 
language for healing, language for beauty in the world in a very fractured time. And it just happens that this Kintsugi route helps people to slow down and and be silent and for me as someone who's been in you know involved with church planting you don't have to use christian needs for anybody to get the operation of the spirit because through your hands when you are polishing mending you know looking at feeding the edges your brain starts to automatically move toward the spirit and so at the end of the day, we may not say anything about biblical reality behind this theology, behind it, but people come up to us and tell us what they experience, which is always, to me, the sign of the Spirit operating in, in that person's life. And anything can happen at that point. But our goal is really to create cultural care formation communities that people feel safe, and then they can, you know, invite people like yourself to come and (laughs) do a concert. And then that that music is going to mean so much more because they've been through the process, you know, and we've experienced that over and over and so excited about it. Well, I'm so excited to hear that. I mean, there's the a couple of years ago, David Brooks wrote that article about your work, Marco. He really emphasized the slow depth of your work and your painting. And I think I'm hearing that in how you're inviting others to slow down into this. I mean, it's, I think it's just a, a very accessible entry point to this kind of slowness that creates space for the imagination to open up to where these justice questions can start to come to the surface. And I think it's, it's, it's just remarkable when you open up that space and then the spirit starts just, there's room for that. There's room to pay attention, to listen to what the spirit might be doing, even though he's already probably, he's already active when we're not listening, but it it is so fruitful when we begin to make the space for it. All of it is, you know, has a spiritual overtone or undertone, however you would say that. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when we're yeah, paying attention. And, yeah. And if I could say, tell you a quick story, um, this, this happened at one of the experiences uh, where I sit on the board of Bucknell University and I invited a few of my fellow board members to a Kentucky experience, not expecting many to come, right? And uh, this one, business guy. He is a very successful hedge fund guy. And I have known him for like five years, but didn't really know him. You know, we never in a board meeting have a opportunity to sit down and talk to each other. But he surprised me. I say, hey, Marco, I'm going to be there, you know. Um, and uh, so I was like, okay, okay, great. You know, <laughs> and, and, and he came not knowing anything. He said, I haven't done like anything like craft, yeah. you know, yeah. in like ages. I don't, <laughs> I'm not good at it, but I brought this chip plate and uh, I said, that's perfect, you know. And so I guided him through the first few steps and, and he was like really enjoying the process. <laughs> he started to polish the sides and he was, you know, showing it to me. Like, and I said, Chris, that's, that's pretty good. You know, I, I've seen others that, 
takes a while and you're getting it. And he was very proud of himself, you know, and he was like showing it to others. And so if you if you can imagine Sandra, this very successful man who's a type A, yeah. just her from this internationally renowned <laughs> artist that his craft He's, is actually good. Yeah. yeah. And then of course in Kintsugi plate, you know, you do both sides, right? So I, the edge is chipped. The edge is chipped. So you, you wrap it around and I said, Chris, you know, there's also the other side. Hmm. No, no, no. You didn't say that. You <laughs> oh, didn't say that, Marco. Yeah. 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 Marco said just very gently. Okay. Very gently. So like, you know, um, it's, it's, our friend is, is, is in a really good mood, you know, just being complimented. And then Marco just gently said, oh, Chris, what about the back? Yeah, what about uh-huh. the other side? Uh-huh. Yeah. What about the back of the plate? Uh-huh. And that was the moment of breakthrough for him because yeah. he just realized that he didn't even look at the back of mm-hmm. this plate. Mm-hmm. I just left him to like start sanding the back, but then later on, at the end, he was like, from that moment on, I couldn't stop thinking about that, the back. And like, how he you know. has he has not considered all aspects whenever he considered anything in his life. So he said, I am about to consider two new ventures. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I didn't look at all sides of that mm-hmm. ventures and I need to do that. Mm-hmm. And then he starts to reflect on his entire life that weekend. Yeah. And he came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I have not thought about my own life in the way that I, I should. And followed up a week later with another visit. And the, the, the level of um, conversation that we were able to have, it, it's, it's as if we had bonded into deep friendship. Because he was sharing with me some of the very deep places that, you know, he's been struggling with. Uh, and, and just that simple cue, looking at the back and realizing there's always both sides, <laughs> just opened this up. And we, we know that's not us, you know, that's the Holy Spirit working in that person's life. We heard stories from children and parents <laughs> we start you know heard stories from business people and so it's kind mm-hmm. of a ubiquitous yeah. uh, and if um any of your listeners are not um artists who um, mm-hmm. make things with their own hands mm-hmm. uh, which is i think probably most of us yeah. uh, there's just something about making things with your own hands this somatic knowledge that unlocks something mm-hmm. in your brain so that's where I think Holy Spirit comes in to yeah. awaken us. If any of you are a writers, you guys know that mm-hmm. when you are just thinking about things, it's very different from when you are start writing things down, right? When you mm-hmm. start writing, mm-hmm. um, there's something unlocks in mm-hmm. your brain. And I think Kintsuki really brings that mm-hmm. unlocking experience to our community. Hejin shares very specifically one aspect of the process of Kintsugi in our conversation, and she talks about this word beholding, and it really catches me as we're talking. And beholding is is really a moment before any mending is happening. There's a broken piece of pottery or something that you're wanting to 
to repair and to see it made whole again. But before anything is done, you hold and study and look at the cracks. You look carefully at all the parts. Maybe there are little shards that are missing. Maybe something needs to be filled in. I think this this process of beholding reminds me of the whole time that we're living in, right? We know that things aren't fully made right yet, that things have not been fully restored. We're in a liminal space. Some people talk about that being like the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter, that in a way we live in a time, our lifetimes are in that space. And so when I think about the practice of Kintsugi and then this word beholding, that there is attention given to the object to honor what has been broken and was even made more valuable after it had been um, laced with gold and, and reframed into a new piece. Um, but I think there's a lot of hope in that. And as we find ourselves in the in-between, that we know um, that this is part of the work that we're doing now. You know, you have on one level very slow work that's been happening for a long time in somebody's life to set yes. the stage for that moment. Right. And then you have just this yeah. epiphany moment that has a, hopefully like a very long tail in that person's story, right? So this moment, but it's after reading art and, and faith and just really thinking about even just in the songwriting community in Nashville, like what does it mean to not just try to like push aside the broken places in our story, but actually say, let's bring all of that forward and then live out of that because the place where that had been broken is actually where something new could emerge that we never imagined. And we have to practice imagining that and even seeing it in community because I can't always see it unless somebody turns the cup around and says, you you missed something. (laughs) You know, that's beautiful yes that's beautiful. Uh, yeah the communal aspect is what we we find en- enormously encouraging um yeah. because we're often alone in our journey of creativity and we don't really have a language and and culture that values communal way of collaborating and creating you know as much as we want to be excellent ourselves and as ambitions toward that we need each other and we need a community, you know, and we need people who are not artists, yeah, <laughs> business right. people, you know, yeah. who, who say, oh, I, I understand, you know, I understand what you're doing and, and it's important. Yeah. And because Kintsuki is in a way embodiment of connection between justice and beauty. Mm-hmm. And because it's a slow work, Kintsuki as a, um, a more Next traditional, style. yeah, or more traditional work, um, you know, to mend one broken vessel, sometimes it will take a year. But more than that, there is this beholding time of mm-hmm. actually looking at the broken pieces before mm-hmm. you even start mending. Mm-hmm. So oh, the, so you know, tea tradition, um, the tea masters whose uh, teacups are, are broken or fractured, and, and these have served really important people. Mm-hmm. So they will hold on to these pieces. And sometimes they will even hand it down to the next generation of tea masters yeah. until until yeah, you yeah. yeah, until you look at those fractures and say, I think they are ready, ready to be mended into new mm-hmm. creation. Mm-hmm. And then, then they give it to a lacquer master, who's a Kintsuki master, who will put it together into a new mm-hmm. creation. So this beholding is something mm-hmm. that we emphasize in our Kintsuki experience because yeah. we want to quickly 
fix things, right? <laughs> we want to quickly, but I do believe that if we do that, it's not going to be complete and it's going to lead mm. to um, yeah. just dissatisfaction. I think we need to think about how do we behold this time? And when we do that, it's actually really painful. Mm-hmm. That beholding time is painful. <laughs> the waiting time is painful. But I think through that pain, we can really slow down mm-hmm. and see yeah. true beauty through those fractures, right? As Kintsuki embodies, the work of justice is also mm-hmm. slow work. And generational. It's a generational work. It's a mm-hmm. long, long journey. It's never a sprint or a marathon. It's a, it's a walk. Mm-hmm. It's a tenacious mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. that is required in this work of a slow art that mm-hmm. I call our just mm-hmm. work of justice. <laughs> I also call it slow art. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there is something beautiful about that that is mm-hmm. enduring mm-hmm. when we slow down. Mm-hmm. That word beholding is, there's such a blessing in that word. In the moment we're in, I think we are having to do this work of beholding and it is so uncomfortable. And yet knowing that there is the maker, the master artist who is holding all of these pieces, who has not lost a single one and is passing them down and has a, an imagination so beyond what we could have yet had. But I think that word, I just um, am so grateful for it. It really speaks to me in that kind of comfort of knowing that these places that I'm still beholding are not yet put together. And yet um, this is good news, and, like just to yeah, be in that's, it. That's, that, uh, yeah, it's okay to just behold and not rush to fixing. Uh, and even to say that some traumas, it's not going to heal, you know, for generations. We, we will need future generations to mend what is broken, but we can behold well and preserve what, you know, needs to yeah. be passed down. Because that's different from just yeah. also ignoring Right? Like, just because we're not ready to be mended into Mm -hmm. new, it's not like we ignore it and pretend that it doesn't exist. Yeah, just stay busy or just do something else. Yeah. Have frenetic energy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But we are are beholding it. There's an intention to it. There is actually a labor of of love, efforts, right? Intentionality and effort that Mm -hmm. have to go into this beholding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org.
I work with an organization that Mako and Hedgen are also connected to that we've mentioned here briefly called Goldenwood in New York City. And in the office, um, Mako just finished a new painting that is for the work of Goldenwood. And what I love about this piece is that it looks like trees at first. It's kind of, it has these rich kind of autumn colors and golds. But then when you look at it more closely, it's not maybe that it's just the trees, but it's the roots. And I think so much of what we're talking about in both this conversation and in my work recently, just thinking about what it is to nourish the roots in the limitations that we all have, there is still something that is being nourished in those times underground that you may not see at first and that it will bear fruit later when the winter thaws and the spring comes and all of a sudden more is blooming out of those quiet places. So I think the work of justice that takes sometimes many years and many generations like Embers International and also in my own life, there is something that calls me back to think, okay, in these quiet, unseen moments that something good is happening and something is being nourished. I wanted to back up just a minute just to touch base about the story behind Embers. And for people who may be hearing that for the first time, I don't know if you'd be willing to share some of that, Hedgen, if you want to um, just, you know, Mako's work, but also just this um, this heart for justice and how some of these things are kind of merging into one um, collective shared vision. Sure. Embers International, it's E-M-B-E-R-S, is a, a global organization that I founded with a couple of my friends who've been to India and saw what was happening, especially around the Red Lake area and um, the slums. And uh, we came back and then started really think about the kind of forgotten population uh, mm. of the lowest caste and then just really the poorest population that uh, is has become such a, a, a victim and target of oppression. And that is not just a current status, but just really a generational oppression. So I've been involved with the anti-trafficking work for 20 years now, and mm-hmm. I started with International Justice Mission, and I've been walking with them in different capacity for the last two decades. And I always knew God called me to do this work of justice, and especially as a as an advocate. So, you know, when I received a calling to be a, a lawyer 24 years ago, every day I asked that question, God, I know you called me to be a lawyer who's an advocate for the poor and the most marginalized. Teach me what that means. What does it mean to be a lawyer as a follower of Christ? Uh, and of course, you know, there are things that the world teaches us, the law school teaches us, and expectations that we set on for ourselves. We have an idea of what that looks like, but I really wanted to learn from the advocate, the mm-hmm. advocate who stands before God and advocates for me against the enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Embers um, especially uh, was birthed because when I went to India eight years ago as part of my anti-trafficking efforts, you know, I met a group of people that I've been supporting for a long time, uh, by the time over a decade. But amongst all of them, um, I met a woman who's been trafficked for over a decade. Mm. And this is when I went to a brothel as undercover. 
And there, you know, I expected to meet someone like her, right? Because I know there are people who are trafficked as a child, trapped there for a long time. But there, for the first time, I met a child who was six months old. And until that moment, I don't think it occurred to me that there are lives born into mm. this filthy place, mm. this place of violence and oppression and exploitation. Mm. And immediately I knew the destiny of this child, that this child is going to be just like her mother, mm -hmm. but this child is going to grow up in this place of violence. Mm. And this child was born because of violence, right? Yeah. And then live in violence and that's all she knows. She's never going to learn human dignity, what it means to be truly loved and be forgiven and to forgive, mm -hmm. to be embraced and to understand that she is an image bearer of God. And she'll never have that chance unless there's an intervention because her mother is also a victim of trafficking and she has no way of out. There's no way that the mother can help. You know, that mom, mom and the child is so isolated from their own families and the world that can be the advocate for them. We needed to have an advocate that we can send. So that's how Embers was born. And now we have a children's center that we built called Sahasi Embers. Mm -hmm. And Sahasi in Hindi means courageous. So we call our children that we care for courageous little flames. Mm. Um, so we have about 90 children at the center now. They are all either living in red light area, therefore they are at very high risk of being trafficked, or they are born into brothels and still living there. They're second or third generation of trafficking victims. Wow. We really want to end the intergenerational exploitation because this is a very cyclical and generational and we want to leave a legacy where these children who's been empowered and, you know, for that we have educational programs for children from nursery all the way to universities and professional schools. And I would love to see these group of children go back to where they're from and mm -hmm. say no more. Yeah. No more of this. No more violence. No more darkness. No more brokenness. No more violence against human dignity mm. in this way. It's so inspiring to hear um, there is a close relationship between art and ideas and really just living and acknowledging brokenness, but yet also not just giving into it, but also saying, hey, out of that prayerful imagination, here are some things on my list today to go, <laughs> to go mm -hmm. and do, like actual um active steps toward it. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, for me, justice is really realized when the beauty is restored. Because we, when we see each of our children and their mothers, um, they are image bearers of God mm -hmm. and they are the most beautiful mm -hmm. in this world, most precious in this world. Yeah. And because of violence, because of sin, because of crime really that was committed against them, mm -hmm their lives are broken mm -hmm. and it's been fractured in an unspeakable way. Mm -hmm. So the work of justice is a journey of restoring that beauty, but restoring in a way that is not hiding the fractures as if it mm -hmm. never happened because we can never go back and erase the past. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just cannot do that. But what we can do is 
we can mend these fractures into something new, creating mm-hmm. something more beautiful and more valuable than before. And that is the analogy of Kintsugi. This image has the power of explaining the work of justice to the most vulnerable, mm-hmm. to the most powerful. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have seen through Academy Kintsugi that uh, Mako and I launched last fall. And so, you know, when I look at uh, the people that we serve, um, I, I imagine that with the creativity that God has given me, um, them becoming new creation, mm-hmm. right? Through yeah. their brokenness, through their fracture. And that requires the mindset of an artist, mindset of a creator, mm-hmm. right? A maker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, the work of justice is us pouring ourselves into the fractures of the broken mm-hmm. as gold. Yeah. And we become part of them, right? When they mm-hmm. become new creation. And so the more we pour ourselves into them, the more gold they will have, the more mm-hmm. beautiful they will become and more valuable they will become. Mm-hmm. And they themselves will be able to see themselves as beautiful again. And that's really the goal um, of the work of justice. Mm-hmm. There's a passage in Jeremiah that I've heard before, the, the question, the one about, is there no balm in Gilead? And that's kind mm-hmm. of a, a phrase that I've heard. But the line right before it in chapter eight really surprised me because I was thinking about advocacy, especially with this kind of a story like you're just describing in some in my own personal story too. In this text, it says, for the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. And I I just was stopped in my tracks realizing the motivation is that this is God's heart for these women and for these little girls and Mm -hmm. for everyone who's touched by this brokenness of this whole orbit. Um, Mm -hmm. And because of that, there's so much power to to just Mm -hmm. like get in that river of justice because it it is coming from his heart as the one who has compassion on them. And I don't know, it's it's just so visible in what you're describing. It it's through his wounds we are healed, and that powerful image of post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. You know, he coming back not as a not only as a glorified human being, but as a glorified wounded human being uh, is is just incredible theological reality of um, new creation that we don't spend much time thinking about. But that was by choice. Jesus chose that for us. And I think that act of grace is an entry point for us, all of us, to look at our own wounds, certainly, differently, and sharing the wounds of others as God's wounds. And when we do that, this reality opens up before us. So many of us, we look for healing and we look for unity we look for you know abundance we look for joy but it you know the kingdom is upside down and it's through his wounds we are healed you know so we need to be very intentional without glorifying the brokenness so you know we're not like wounding just for the sake of that obviously but to have a proper healthy perspective is is to own what God sees in the world as broken and and behold that fracture um, through the spirit's unction and 
and guidance and that brokenness all of a sudden becomes beautiful and powerful and you know, having gone to India with her and, and experiencing Amber's work every day, I, I am constantly amazed at how much of what I do as an artist has, has been training my imagination to do that very thing, to find, you know, initially it was just like my own brokenness, you know, just, you just focus on your own fallenness and, but that's, that's not the end point, you know, that's just the beginning. And then you realize that, oh, okay, what I learned in that process can be applied when I see others hurting, you know, when I see the world weeping, this is an entry point for artists to move into that space with the same kind of mercy and compassion and forgiveness that you learn to hopefully, you know, continue to give yourself. But then something opens up where Jesus's wounds are there uh, in front of us and we are walking the Emmaus road journey, you know, into new creation. And it's just been an amazing journey for me to partake in that. When we recorded this episode, I had already previously had some experience with Kintsugi, but just following this interview, I had two opportunities back-to-back to practice Kintsugi with um, two different groups. There were a lot of things I observed in the two different experiences. I was mending a cup that was a, belonged to a friend of mine. They had just had a baby, were not able to be there, but had this cup that was one of four that were handmade pottery and beautiful cup and it had a crack in it with a kind of a triangle shape that had been broken out of it so I mended that piece and while I was doing the work and laying the gold and holding it in my hands I thought about a lot of personal reflections as well as being able to do that with and for a friend. I thought about it being a set of four and to have one piece that had this gold marking and yet being rejoined with, you know, the set of four of handmade pottery. There were so many little kind of explosions of inspiration as I was doing that. God speaking to me through the work of my hands and mending those pieces, it just reminded me of how present he is in the small things, weaving together the places of brokenness for our good. The Slow Work is a production of Christianity Today, executive produced by Mike Cosper, produced by Luke Bronner and Azure Phelps, additional recording by Evan Redwine, Edited and mixed by Dan Phelps. Original music by Tyler Chester. Graphic design by Chris Bennett. And I'm your host, Sandra McCracken. Thanks again for listening.